Genesis House and the Friends in Recovery podcast are proud to bring you Answering the Call, the first responder podcast. Join your hosts, Mike the Podfather and Jersey Ed, as they address the real issues in health and wellness for first responders. From physical and mental health to relationships and work-life balance, we leave no stone unturned. Answering the Call, the first responder podcast is available on Facebook, Podbean, iTunes, and YouTube, as well as iHeartRadio. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Now, here are your friends in recovery answering the call. Hey, everybody, answering the call, <laughs> the First Responders Podcast. I am the Podfather, Mike Miles. We're having too much fun here. We're having more fun than we should be having. And That's I'm, right. And I'm Jersey down in the, uh, the garage or the Quarantineville <laughs> garage. So The garage. Uh, the garage. Yeah, the, the garage. garage. Kind of yeah. liking this. Took the sheet down, mm-hmm. yep. got my cigars, got my AC from my neighbor. I love it. Yeah. You don't, you don't have a car parked in there either. I don't got a car parked in there now. Nope. <laughs> no car. No car. And no um, car. I'm, I'm lucky. I'm in sweet studio. I'm surrounded, I'm surrounded by all these wonderful gadgets, lights, yeah. mirrors, uh, everything. I have an electric chair yeah. going on here. and yeah. <laughs> Giving him a nice weird massage. That's right. Oh, yeah. I had the yeah. massage going. That's yeah. right. Massage yeah. chair. Yep. <laughs> yep. And uh, I'm with the uh, producer extraordinaire, Sweets, the man, and, the uh, myth, the legend. Just lurking right. in the shadows today, like I always do, yep. trying to make you guys right. look and sound fantastic. You lurking. do? He's you working do? and lurking. Working and lurking. <laughs> working and lurking. That's a good one. That's a good one. So so how are you guys doing? Your Godfather, you're good and Sweets? Yeah, Everybody's yeah. There in this uncertain time? Yeah, mm-hmm. it's been crazy. I mean, with with, with the uh, with the C virus going around and everybody's yeah. wearing masks, and you know we're all gonna be careful and watching the news, and then then you got everything else going on right now. It's uh, you know it's been crazy. It's been yeah. really um, it, it's it's not even it's not even enjoyable to watch the news. You don't see no. anything that resembles sanity. Yeah. How, how yeah. about you, Ed? What, what I, are you doing down there? I'm good. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, we're just doing the, the same old thing. And then, uh, you know, all the craziness with all the, um, you know, the thing that happened in Minnesota went on and you know, that rattled us. And I think we should um, talk on that a little bit today sure. um, because this is the first responders podcast. And uh, it's something that I think sure. we, we need to address. Um, you know, Mike, you and I were talking before, you know, you being a cop and, and uh, you know, with all this craziness going on, um, you know, I, I feel bad for everybody out there, and, and, and George Floyd's death was definitely not um, acceptable. And, you know, you said as being a cop, you, you, there's no way you can even look at that as far as being justifiable. Zero. Yeah, I, I don't know any uh, police officers that or anybody could look at that video and think that that was proper police procedure. Yeah. That was, yeah. That was just uh, ignorance, yeah. um, malice. Uh, there was intent. I got to be honest, though. I don't. I don't know if it's racism. It's easy to paint it as racism. White mm-hmm. cop, black defendant, uh, black victim. I should say. Um, yeah, I, I guess you could say people would think it's racism, but we don't know that for sure. And you know what? Society doesn't yeah. want to hear that. The majority of society. But yeah. Yeah. let me just say this: I was a cop thirty-five years. And I'll look you right in the eye and I'll tell you. I have never acted against anybody because of their their nationality, their race, the color of their skin. Never even crossed my mind. And you know what? I don't know any cops that ever have. Mm-hmm. So I work in a city that's very multicultural, Lowell, Lowell, Massachusetts, about 130,000 people, um, huge uh, Southeast Asian population, Vietnamese, Khmer, 
Laotian. There's a Latino population very big as well, and and uh, the the uh, Afro American black population. Um, I'd say it's about thirteen percent. I'd give it that, but never in my my thirty five years, twenty eight in the street, did I ever arrest anyone or give anyone a ticket or jump on somebody because of the color of their skin. And you know what? Maybe people find it hard to believe. I don't really give a shit. Yep. I, I know who I am. I know what I've done for society. And yep. you know what? So I don't Good. think every every white cop is a racist. Or every time a, a white cop sees somebody that's um, black, that they, they, they treat him yep. any differently. However, I'm not saying it doesn't happen. But in this case, definitely that cop should go to jail the rest mm-hmm. of his life. The three cops that were there, they, they saw it. They should be in jail as well because they didn't act at all. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it's a crazy world, Mike, and and this is the um, this show is our uh, stories from the field, and uh, you know we, we just needed to address that. And I want to I want to talk about because of the uncertain times, what what we just been going through with the coronavirus, all this craziness, you know, with the supporters, uh, with the supporters, with the protesters, and all this craziness going on, you know, in Minneapolis. I want to hear some good stories from you. We heard some funny stories, but what are the the standout stories that? Um, that you have in the back of your mind that did you did you ever help an old lady cross the road did you you know one of those kind of heartwarming right. stories um i know you talk about bringing gifts um to to the kids during christmas time stories like that man stories where we we need some good stories it, it goes across all you know it, it crosses every race every creed every everything and it's just for human beings that's a story i want to hear from you today well, I got to be honest. I've helped a lot of elderly, uh, blind, special needs people across the street. I mean, especially Lowell's. A, um, you know, it's a good sized city. The uh, downtown area is busy. There's a lot of, uh, you know, motor vehicle traffic. So while in the cruiser, I, I would see a blind man at a set of lights with his dog wait, waiting for the light to change. If traffic wasn't, you know, uh, super busy, I would put my lights on, jump out, make sure the people behind me knew what I was doing, and I would introduce myself to Mr. Asian, that was his name, say, hey, it's Mike Miles, Mr. Asian, looking across the street. Oh, thanks, Mike, and would cross it. Um, elderly gentleman one night fell off a curb. I walked him home. Um, I didn't know there was a gentleman watching me, and the gentleman's name was Ray Redigan. Um, for 30 years, Mr. Redigan sent me a Christmas card every year to the police station and tell me what a great guy I was because he saw that one act of kindness, one act. Um, you know, bringing, when my oldest daughter, Michelle, was a young girl, uh, we, we would. I worked in the, you know, what they call the projects. We'd wrap gifts, uh, Barbie dolls and little, uh, those little matchbox cars. Mm-hmm. And I'd buy a couple dozen of each and we'd just bring them to the kids. Like, a lot of kids didn't have gifts and stuff. Yeah. Hey, I'm not patting myself on the back. I'm not the only one who was doing this. I work with numerous cops. We gave out candy on Halloween. We, we um, you know, we have it in the car. And, you know, but not... Not every nowadays you could never do that. You know, people would think you're giving out poison candy. <laughs> I mean, you know, they would. They, they'd be questioning it. You know, um, people look at police officers in a different light than when I when I came on in 1980. Um, I think the elderly and the children, um, you know, looked up to us, uh, looked to us for help, and the kids looked up to us. It's not like that anymore. I don't think um, society's changed. Um, I don't know if policing. I don't think policing has changed, but I think. There's a lot more limitations on what you can do or expected to do. Mm-hmm. But I do have a ton of stories. As you know, Ed, I can tell a million stories. Oh, uh, well, that's why we got you on here. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I, like you said, policing's changed, but the times have changed, Mike, too. And, um, 
you know, there's a lot of um, lawyers out there, a lot of uh, people who, who, you know, that, that don't want to uh, kind of look at things in the right way. You know what I mean? And, right. and if you do something wrong, look, I, you know, I could sue you for smoking that cigar the wrong way. Absolutely. You got to get a scumbag lawyer to fucking right. take it on for you. You know what I mean? Well, so. What I noticed in court um, over the years testifying from the stand, um, lawyers in the early 80s, it wasn't as prevalent because the police were much more protected. They didn't have, lawyers just couldn't get your personnel folder. You know, the Freedom of Information Act, I'm not sure when that came out with the press and everything. All of a sudden, you'd be on the stand for an arrest for an armed robbery, and the lawyer would have your personnel folder and say, are you the same Mike Miles who um, had a problem with alcohol and drugs in 1986? Um, were you in your right mind when you arrested my son, my, my defendant, uh, my client? You know, and it was like, now it's it was just a different level, you know, yeah. and that's why testifying in court, a good lawyer can can just make the jury completely forget about what the, what the defendant did. If the cop has one iota of a mistake, you know, in other words, if if he was late for work too many times, um, if if he got caught or whatever, you know, speeding or he got a ticket outside of the, you know, his jurisdiction and 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 it got back, you know, to the department, whatever mistakes you made would go in that. People want to, they used to call police, um, you know, the, uh, the, 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 the best, or, or I forget the exact word, um, Lowell's finest that we used to hear. Mm -hmm. When I first come on, I'm like, what the hell does that mean? Lowell's finest. I'm far from Lowell's finest, but that's, <laughs> but I think that's what they wanted you to aspire to, that you are supposed to be bulletproof. You make mm -hmm. no mistakes. You go to work and you go home and you just, you know, hang yourself in the closet for eight hours and go back to work. But as we know, that doesn't, that's not reality. Well, yeah. you know, you guys are human beings. You guys are, um, you know, you're just like us. You're just like me. You, I have a job. You have a job, and you, you know, you can't take those jobs home with you. You have to, you have to, you know, leave them at the at the station and then come home and be a mom and dad, a husband and wife. And sometimes it's hard to. Some cops I know that that can't do that, you know. And uh, um, that's what I believe, not society, but I think. The police departments, and that's what they want. Those guys who are cops all the time, so they're even a better cop when they come to work. And you know, I, you know, I, but I think the best cop out there is a cop who has balance, just like you, Mike. If I ever was meet to meet you on the street and you weren't dressed and I didn't know you and you weren't dressed in, in your police uniform, I would never have ever guessed that you were your profession would be a cop. And right. never, ever. You know what I mean? And some people, you know, you're like, oh yeah, that guy's definitely a cop. And this is just from a civilian standpoint of view. But, right. um, you know, I always can say that guy's a cop, that guy's not or whatever. And, and um, you know, it, it just you wouldn't you don't come across that way. Uh, I'll tell you a quick story. Um, when tagging graffiti writing, I you know, we call it tagging. Um, but, um, you know, kids started tagging all over the city, buildings, bridges, signs, you know, um, it was real prevalent, and you know we have some pretty historical bu buildings in Lowell. So back in the uh, early '90s, I um, I lived in a museum, the Whistler House Museum. I knew a few artists and stuff. So I came up with this idea of having this off-street art program. So what I did is I went around to high schools, um, and I talked to the teachers, and I got art students, kids that were pretty, you know, uh, in involved with art. And then I went out in the community, and I worked on the projects, and I. I I targeted the kids that were doing the tagging. And I had this art contest called Off Street Art, 1992. Wow. And what I did was uh, I got three artists, local artists, to judge it. I raised money. I gave out first prize was 500, second prize was 300, 
Third prize was 100. Then I had 15 $50 gift certificates from MVP Sports. I uh, had, yeah, and it was in the fall. I had haystacks and pumpkins, and it was along the river. I had, I got a DJ, a pretty cool DJ. I got cool. pizza delivered. Yeah, so this was a big hit. This was called Off Street Art, and actually, the Herman Goldstein Award for Community Policing is given out once a year in San Francisco. My department put me in for it, unbeknownst to me. I came in second in the nation for this program. Now, I'm not patting myself. I did it for three years. But the reason I did it is I wanted to educate these kids that it was illegal what they're doing. However, there was some real talent. I've seen some taggings that are just amazing. I mean, they're hanging from a bridge, and they got cans of spray paint, and they're making these unbelievable murals that are just crazy. So just to make a long story short, the first kid who won, the, the, the first recipient of the off-street art program was a boy named So So Kind So Klein Keen, and his mother and father from Cambodia. Her, her family, the mother's family, owned a large market, a supermarket a chain. Obviously, the Khmer Rouge took it off. The father was a medical doctor. Unfortunately, wow. when they came to this country, they had no records to prove who they were. So the father became a therapist, a physical therapist, and the mother worked in a market. Eventually, the father got his medical license. Everything was all. He, he was back in track, but they'd only been here a short time. Their son ended up going to Philadelphia School of Art Wow! to be a graphic artist, all right? Now, you know, 10 years later, I'm working at a showcase cinema, and this big, tall, Asian, handsome kid comes up to me, and he's hugging me. I have no idea who he is. It's so kind. <laughs> you know, I saw him when he was 16. Now he's, he's 26. And, you know, and, and, you know it, it, those are the stories that touch my heart because, you know— um, I know what I did. I didn't get paid extra. I enjoyed doing it. Uh, one more. I, I, I had a homework study group. College students would get in trouble, you know, drinking, whatever. So they had to come do community uh, service. Well, I'd bring them down to my precinct, and I'd have them do homework study with the kids from the projects on Wait, Sunday night. Uh, wow. So it was a win-win. The college kids loved it, and I'd buy pizza, and I had a Nerf ball competition, basketball competition, <laughs> and whoever got the most baskets got a $5 bill, and... But I had 15, 20 kids every Sunday night in my precinct, not just me, other cops. And these college kids would come in. They'd be thrilled. They'd be helping these kids with their homework. And you know what? That was called the, um, the homework program or whatever it was. And I had a career day for girls in the projects. Where all the, I had professional women come in and speak to the girls, and I had buses pick them up. You know, I, I really got involved in community policing, and I'm not saying everyone should do this, but I was known in the community I worked in, which was the projects, um, you know, housing mostly, um, as somebody that people liked. So, you know, it just took a little extra work. And I arrested people, too. And believe me, I did things that, you know, cops do. But I, I mostly, I think I was there for the, for, the, um, for the population that I was serving. They trusted me. They believed in me. Um, I wasn't a guy that you could call up and say, hey, I want to give you some information. I'd give them the number to the detectives because I didn't want that label that you could call me and I'd, I'd get somebody arrested, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's um, that's that's pretty interesting. I mean, um, I, that I didn't know about you, Podfather. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I, there's a lot you don't know about me yet. <laughs> hey, we got to take a break. We're going to be back answering the call. First Responders Podcast. Uh, get the Podfather and Jersey Ed. We'll be right back. Since 1992, Genesis House has been helping real people heal from addiction on their private recovery campus in beautiful Palm Beach County, Florida. Their family-owned program is accredited by the Joint Commission and offers detox and dual diagnosis treatment in a comfortable and confidential setting. At Genesis House, they focus on treating the underlying causes of addiction, 
Their comprehensive approach includes psychiatric care, individual and small group therapy, trauma healing techniques, and holistic care including yoga, massage, and animal-assisted therapy. After treatment, their clients enjoy the lifelong support of a nationwide network of Genesis House alumni. Call Genesis House today at 1-800-737-0933 to speak with someone who understands. Visit them on the web at www.genesishouse.net. It's time to start your journey to a long and successful recovery. Hey, everybody. Uh, welcome to Answering the Call, the First Responders Podcast. I am the Podfather, and I'm here with Jersey Ed. Jersey Ed here, guys. How's <laughs> yeah. it going? We just took a break, and we're, we're we back live, and now we're here with we're Sweets, our producer extraordinaire. Sweets, what's up? We're going to do a podcast pick of the week real yes, quick. Yes, yes. I'm, I'm going to give you a drum roll real quick. Give me a drum roll. Oh, that's a hell of a drum roll. <laughs> that was a long uh, one. That was a long one. <laughs> All right, everybody. Jersey Edge podcast pick of the week is Police Off the Cuff. Host Bill Cannon and Mark DeMeo, two former New York City police officers, detectives turned comedians, share war stories, give you a peek behind the badge, and talk about comedy, current events, and everything in between. You can find Police Off the Cuff, Off the Cuff podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. Hold it's on, I want to write this guys. down. Police off the cuff, right? Police, Police off the cuff. Off the cuff. I got to check this out because I know I could do stand-up. Uh, I could only <laughs> do about three minutes, but I got some good material. <laughs> and I've always, good, I often good. thought about if I could have just had an opportunity, I guess I could have. Uh, well, I'll uh, get you on their show, Podfather. Yeah, yeah, because um, <laughs> I, I love comedy, and um, I don't know, I think I'm a funny guy. Yes, we do. You are a funny guy. I'm a fun guy. You are. You are a funny guy. Yeah. You got a good sense of humor. I think you'll do great. So, so before the break, we were talking about, um, you know, some of the good stuff the Podfather's been doing, and some of the crazy stuff that's going on in the world, from COVID to, um, you know, all the police stuff and all the protests going out there, and, uh, you know, uh, it's it's just it's so much. Got we got hit with so much all at once. You know, I mean, from March till now, everything kind of imploded and and we we as society i believe have to deal with everything right. cops right. whatever you are you know first responders everybody has to deal with it and there's a lot of stress in it and there's a lot of um a lot of uh craziness going on so the question i have for you Podfather, and and i know that this will relate to it but what what do you do like i'm sure you've seen something like this you, you were at protests we had to protect the protesters and everything and you may not have agreed with it, but that's your job. You had to do it, and, and that's how you have to do it. But what's some of the ways that you kind of either decompress or relax from this or get it out of your mind because there's a lot going on here? That's why I wanted to hear some of the good stories from you because I want some of these guys listening. Okay, let's take my mind off it. Let's listen to Podfather handing out gift, you know, Christmas gifts. But what's some of your ways to decompress from this? Well, there's a few things. Um, we'll start with ice cream, and um, <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about Green Acres, uh, Andy and Mayberry, <laughs> Goma Pile. No, I um, I can't watch the news. I mean, I, I get up in the morning. I watch the first from 6 a.m. until 6.15. I, I get the gist of what's going on in the world. And that's it. I shut it off. There's no sports, so I can't. But I do go buy two newspapers. I buy a New York paper and a Massachusetts paper. And, um, you know, I look through the papers. I, um, of course, I'm retired now, so I, I have a lot of opportunities. I smoke a cigar. I, I feed birds. I feed squirrels. I, uh, I take pictures. I got a nice Nikon. Um, I've been taking a lot of pictures. But 
for at night when I go home, I just make sure I watch something that's uh, uplifting. Like I said, you know, the old the old comedies on TV. Uh, I'm not watching them for hours and hours. May- maybe an hour and a half. Um, I go from Seinfeld to Green Acres to to all these shows. Um, I'm reading a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I just try not to. And I look at both sides. I don't just watch conservative TV, Fox News. I don't watch CNN at all. I don't like CNN I, for mm-hmm. my own personal reason. I loved Miles O'Brien. Miles O'Brien was a reporter for CNN. He was also a personal friend of mine and uh, Tommy Fleming's. Wow. And we gave him an award. Yes, at one of my seminars, uh, one of our seminars back in '88, '89, we gave him an award because um, he did a special on on police stress. It was called The Enemy Within, and okay. um, and it was about police stress. And Tom Fleming and I had started this company called New Attitudes, nonprofit organization, and we were just helping cops and their families. No money involved. We didn't get paid, um, but we would direct them in the right direction uh, for, for personal problems and stuff. So Miles O'Brien came in, and he interviewed us, rode around with us, and I just followed his career. We gave him an award down in Framingham, Massachusetts, at, at, a, at a beautiful hotel where we had a seminar with about 200 people. And, um, you know, I just always kind of followed his career, and I would send him a card once in a while. Uh, he was in a bad accident. Um, um, uh, he's a pilot. He, he's, he's lost you know, he's lost limbs and everything. I mean, he, he, he's had a rough life. But I, after he left the newsroom at CNN, I just, I, I don't know, I just couldn't watch it. But I do watch a, a very, very liberal station, WGBH, um, mm-hmm. I, I follow their news too. So I get both sides of it, you know. But uh, other than that, Eddie, there's not really much, um, you know, I, I love nature. I love being outside. Um, I love cigars. Yep. And um, I love my kids and my grandkids. I'm yeah. very fortunate. Well, that that's a good, that's well, that's a good way to wind down is nature. And, uh, you know, I, I love to run. Again, I'm not a police officer or a first responder, but with everything in the world today, I get out there and I'm on a run through the woods or through a neighborhood or whatever, where it's peace and quiet. It's it's my own serene time. Um, exercise is also good. I know Podfather used to run. And was that some of your stress reliefs too? Oh, yeah. When you had a, a rough sure. day at, at the office, you know, on the job, whatever you guys call it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, I, I used to go running before work, sometimes after work. I used to get out at 12. I worked early nights for 28 years, 4 to 12 for 28 years in a cruiser. And I'm proud to say that because not a lot of people make, you know, that commitment and stay in that position. Um, now, cops listening to this that are lieutenants and captains might say, hey, that guy's a dope. He never, you know, he, he didn't pass the promotional exam. Well, you know what? I always did pass it, but I always was like in an 82, they'd get down to 85. I had an 84, they get down to 86, you know? And I'm glad I didn't get promoted because it's it made me want to go back and get an education, master's in social work, work with people. You know, I was more of a social worker type of cop. Um, you know, don't get me wrong. I, I, I rolled around with a lot of people. I've been in a lot of fights. I, I can handle myself. And believe me, nobody was pushing me around. Um, you know, I didn't, I never run from anything. And um, I wasn't always looking to fight, but sometimes... You have no choice. Yeah. You can be in the best mood, feeling on top of the world. You get a call and somebody attacks you. What, what do you do? You can't run out the door. You've you got to stand there and fight. So I was yeah. always ready. I did push-ups, sit-ups. I used to run. I loved running. Um, I put on a lot of weight when I was in a cruiser so long. Uh, since I retired, I've lost 42 pounds. I feel great, you know. Um, I walk now. I, I also walk. I don't walk a long distance, maybe a mile and a half, three times a week. But um I have some weights. I throw them around a little bit. But. Good, good. Mike, talk, Podfather, talk about, um, I, I like what you said about I gained weight sitting in a cruiser all those years. 
what would you have done differently? Because oh, um, we know, right, <laughs> you right. know what it is. We know food <laughs> is directly oh, yeah. connected to our stress, to our feeling good. Like you said, you started off with right. ice cream. You, know, you started this whole question off with ice cream. What would you tell the young officers out there, maybe that are on that shift, that four to midnight shift, how to eat a little yeah. different or, or you know, um, different uh, kind of way of life than you did in that in that police cruiser for that 28 years? Right. Well, you know what? In our union, and I was in the union for many years, and um, I was the vice president of the union, we never had a clause where we had time to eat. There was never a, you know, we have 15 minutes that we can eat. We never had that because it's the type of job you really can't. But you could go eat. You could call off. And if if your sector was clear and you'd call in and say, you know, car four to low, yep, go ahead, um, we're requesting to um, be off at George's or Santoro's or wherever, whatever restaurant. And they'd say, fine. But you had to know that you could be eating the best meal in the world. If you got a call, you left that meal or you took it with you, whatever you wanted to do. But that was the type of eating, that, and that, that was me. My kids watch me eat, and I know they look at me and go, wow, what a fucking savage he is, you know? <laughs> and I don't mean to be that ignorant guy eating like I had to learn. I've actually had to learn to slow down, and I'm, yeah. I still haven't mastered it, you know? Because I'm always eating to beat the clock, to just eat it and get it down, yeah. not enjoying it like I should. But I would just say, get out of your cruiser, and, and I know a lot of departments now, they want you walking around. Um, I did. I, I used to get out and check areas, but not near as much as I wish I had, you know what I mean? Um, i could tell you a quick story. Yes. There was an elderly gentleman lost back in 84, I believe, and uh, he was lost from a nursing home. A beautiful summer day. It's about 5 in the afternoon. I get the call. I go over to the myself and my partner. We go over to the nursing home, and they say, yeah, Fred's missing. Um, he went out the front door. What's Fred look like? He's about five feet two, glasses, and he has a Johnny on. Well, it's not going to be hard to find Fred, you know? So <laughs> as we're leaving the nursing home, I see this elderly man shuffling along Varnum Avenue, which is a very busy street with his hospitals and multiple nursing homes. So I said, that's got to be Fred. He had, he had the foam slippers on. I pull up. Hey, Fred, how you doing? He looks me in the eye, and he says to me, now I'm 20, 26, 27, he says to me, Dad, you said you'd come. Well, I got to tell you, I don't know why, but it, it made me emotional. I, I, I got teary-eyed, and I went over, and I grabbed him, and I said, come on, I'm here now, let's go. And I walked him up the walkway, and I was kind of behind him, like, and I noticed that his ass cheeks had come to a point, <laughs> like his little bum, the, the cheeks came to a point. And for some reason, I don't know whether it's PTSD or not, but that stuck in my head. My whole life, my whole career. And now that I'm 66 years old, I, <laughs> I look in the mirror and I say, Jesus, my ass is, it's not there yet, but I'm like, yeah, it's coming. That's going to happen. <laughs> but I think if I'd gotten out of the cruiser more and maybe done a little more walking, I wouldn't have to be Fred, you know? <laughs> <laughs> that is funny. I, w I want to I go back to a, a story that you just said, because I do have a firefighter story so what you said about the eating the eating habits real quick i want to talk about um the uh i was at a firefighter anthony anthony lancelotti who was a guest on our show a couple Great weeks guy. ago yeah Funny go guy. check that episode out um anthony lancelotti firefighter in providence rhode island yeah, yeah. Um, he invited me <laughs> to the firehouse for dinner right so i was and, he, and anthony's a really good cook these firemen as you know oh, my yeah. father they're oh, fucking yeah. really good cooks, right? Oh, so the minute are. he the minute he said, I'm there, I'm going, I'm going for oh, fucking yeah. 
So, you know, we're all sitting there. I think there's 10 guys at this huge table in the firehouse. Anthony's in the kitchen. He doesn't want me to do anything. I'm his guest. I'm like, okay, this is cool. This is like, I'm the fucking, you know, the, the celebrity guest here. You know, yep. they're all going to cater to me. Yeah. Pasta goes on a table, huge salad, all kinds of stuff. It was like a, <laughs> for a king. I said, did you do this for me? He goes, no, this is how we every eat every night. night. <laughs> I was like, oh, shit. I should have been a firefighter. Yep. So we sit down. <laughs> I am telling you, Podfather, no more than two forkfuls of this fucking spaghetti going on my mouth. Yep, exactly. I'm like, I'm like, what do I do? I'm sitting there. And everybody's gone. Food is all over the place. I'm like, like, I guess I'll just keep eating. Well, that's the beauty, right? And, and they had to go. And I like the fact they don't cover the food up. They just go. I, I'll tell you, that's a career. I've been around it. I've slid down the pole. I've I've eaten in many firehouses. I have some great friends that are firemen that, that are no longer with us and that still are. But I got to tell you, that's a career that I'm so glad I never went into because these guys, you talk about heroes, I'll tell oh, you, yeah. there's that, that's a job. And that's oh, yeah. a job that, you know, nobody nobody in their right mind Ugh. could watch. I mean, these guys, sometimes they, they don't get calls, but they're yeah. doing other things. Yeah. But for that... That one time when there is a fire, and I've seen some buttes, I've seen some mill fires, five alarm, four alarm, crazy. Um, they're they're doing it, they're working it. And you know yeah. there was there was a hot bill passed in Massachusetts, hot. You know, you, 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 the the organ inside your chest, the hot bill. And it was it's because of firefighters, they were dying at such a rapid rate. They were dying in their forties and early fifties. And the average life expectancy of a male is about right now is about 61, 60. Mm-hmm. But yes. It's it's gone up a bit, but it used to be down to fifty eight, fifty nine. But fire and that was firemen. Um, firemen and police were like fifty eight, fifty nine, twenty years younger than 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 the um, the average men in society because of the jobs. And what they figured out, just real quick in layman's terms, was when you'd get a call, your adrenaline pumps, everything goes, fight or flight. You're on the truck, you're dressed, you're going, and then all of a sudden, false alarm. Mm-hmm. Now you got to subside. And oh. this is that plaque buildup, and this is what they did. Uh-huh. Cops, too. You get a call, there's a bank robber. You're all excited. There's a man with a gun. It's a kid with a squirt gun. When you get there, you don't know. But you have that you have that adrenaline you know, pump and then dump, pump, dump. And after a while, it, it just builds up, again, layman's uh-huh. terms, you know. That I didn't understand. Oh, yep. that is that, that's why. Okay, all right, I get it now. Yep. All right. Yep. All right. And that's because they, the first study was done on firemen because they were dying at such a rate. And... Uh, yep. I'll tell you, Lowell, Lowell, Massachusetts, they got some... Uh, I am so proud to say that I worked in Lowell for 35 years. With the EMS, mm-hmm. I know some incredible people on EMS. Mm-hmm. Uh, just uh, just heroes. They really are heroes. I, the word heroes being thrown around an awful lot. And you know what? I, I, I agree. Nurses, doctors, everyone doing this, yes. They, they deserve that status. But to me, a hero's always been somebody that because of the job they were in, they, they lost their lives or uh, because they were a soldier. They were serving yep. their country, which there's something that's going by the wayside too. You, when I went in the Army in 72, 1%, a little over 1% of the society was serving the country. Now it's less than half percent. It's 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 just, I don't know where we're going in this, this country. I, I'm i glad in a sense that I'm an older man. I, I don't have a lot, maybe 15, 20 years left, but yep. you know what? I, 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 I'm curious to see where this this state, this country is going to be in 50 years. I really yeah, am. It's, it's crazy. It's crazy. Well, Podfather, that is the stories from the field. This is why we like this show. This is this is uh, 
I'm, I'm glad you agreed to do this monthly for us because these are the stories we want to hear. We want to hear the good, the bad, the ugly, and then in between. And, um, you know, I'm sure you can echo my thoughts as far as the prayers go out to um, all the, all the um, first responders out there. Um, what's going on in this world and on both ends of, you know, doctors and, and the, the first responders as far as police officers and all that. And also the protesters who want to change. I understand that. My prayers go out to them Absolutely. too. Because Absolutely. we do need a change, guys. Absolutely. Some kind of change in this right. world um, to look at everybody as right. one, not just, the, you know, as, as this race, that race, and this race. I think this will bring us, as long as it's done peacefully, it'll bring us all together. Right. It'll bring us united as one. And of course, you have some stragglers out there doing what they do. But for the majority of it, Podfather, right. I think this this protesting peacefully will definitely bring us all together. Well, Eddie, I'm all for the protesting uh, peacefully. This is how this country started. You know, I grew, I grew yeah. up in a, in, in a part of the world where, you know, the first shot fired around the, heard around the world. Yeah. Park at Lexington, I've been there for the reenactment. I don't know. I, I, I can't get off on that. Anyway. No, I understand. Great, I understand. Great no, show. But, but, good show, Podfather. <laughs> stories from the field, and we're going to do it again next month. Get ready for those stories, Podfather. You got it, pal. All right, stay, bro, stay safe out there, everybody. Uh, yeah. Answering the call, First Responders Podcast. Stay safe. That concludes this episode of Answering the Call, the First Responder Podcast. Thanks to Genesis House for sponsoring the show and supporting first responders who are struggling with addiction and mental health. Follow us on Facebook for past shows and updates. If you are interested in being a guest on the show, email us at help at friendsandrecoverypodcast.com.